but we're in the book of Acts in chapter 11 tonight. And I've been going through the book of Acts. I think the last Sunday I filled in for Pastor Rob, we had just finished chapter 10. And I think we're in chapter 18 on Tuesday morning with the seniors. So it's really been um, a lot of fun going through this book and um, just taking my time doing it. Um, you know what I wanted to do? I just wanted to, to start out with um, just a word of prayer, but then um, just kind of recap some of the stuff that we're going to see in Acts as we go through the book. And I know we're in chapter 11, but I'll kind of highlight some of that, and then we'll look at the chapter. But let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for tonight. And God, we do uh, thank you and praise you for uh, being an active part of the study tonight. I pray, Lord, that um, you'd be glorified through all of this, that we would be challenged. And God, it's just so exciting as we read the book of Acts that, you know, that it, there's no end to the book of Acts. So we're, um, we're still, you know, we're a part of it, uh, living out our faith day to day and uh, just ministering for you and just seeing people getting saved. And it's just exciting, Lord. So uh, I pray that as we look back at... Um, uh, Peter and uh, Barnabas and, and Paul, that, um, you know, we would get excited because, uh, you know, that's us today. Uh, so we're uh, excited about that, and we thank you for using us, for enabling us to be lights for you. So we praise you and thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So some people call the book of Acts the fifth gospel. Kind of makes sense. It's a continuation uh, that Luke, the writer of Luke, goes on to um, just to continue the story, if you will. And it's kind of interesting because it looks like that what they've done is if they had this big funnel and they took the Gospels and poured the Gospels and it was just filtered into the book of Acts. And I'll, I'll um, explain what I mean. The book of Acts is a bridge between the Gospels and the Epistles, Okay, think, of the, think about if the book of Acts wasn't there. We would go from the end of John right to Romans. I mean, there'd be this huge gap, right? Like, gee, how did we get to Rome and how did these guys get saved? You know, what happened? So, I mean, the book of Acts is really, it's an, it fills that gap. Um, the last recorded fact about Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew is the resurrection, which is recorded in the book of Acts. In the Gospel of Mark, the last recorded act of Jesus is his ascension, which is also recorded in the book of Acts. In the Gospel of Luke, the last recorded fact is the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's also found in the book of Acts. And in the Gospel of John, the last recorded fact is the second coming of Christ. And yes, that's also in the first chapter of Acts. So Acts is a pretty pivotal, pivotal book for us as we move into, um, you know, the New Testament and into the Gospels. Um, let's see. I don't, you know what, I didn't get the guy who said this, uh, but I'll get back to you on that. But it's a, it, there's a quote that it has been said that the book of Acts furnishes a ladder on which to place the epistles. So the book of Acts, and we know the theme of the book of Acts is um, Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, 
both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, of course, the book of Acts is broken up with that verse. Chapters 1 through 7 record Jesus Christ at work by the Holy Spirit through the apostles in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 record the Lord Jesus Christ at work by the Holy Spirit or through the Holy Spirit through the apostles in Judea and Samaria. And then the remainder of the book is devoted to Jesus at work by the Holy Spirit through the apostles to the uttermost parts of the earth. So the, like I said, the book of Acts isn't complete. And that's what is exciting about that for me, and hopefully uh, for you as well, is that we've continued on the book of Acts. We've continued on the story. And I was, you know, sometimes I just let, just kind of let my mind just kind of drift a little bit. But, you know, I'm thinking of Paul and Barnabas and Peter and, you know, the disciples and, you know, people that we don't even know who got saved that were a part of the ministry. You know, outside of technology, they, pro- they weren't much different than we are. You know, they were saints that loved the Lord, that knew that God had commissioned them to go out, right, to go out and share the gospel. And uh, that hasn't changed, right? I mean, we just do it with microphones and tapes and videos. I mean, there's a whole different method. But, you know, these men and women... Um, you know, they just, they just lived each day just knowing that, you know, God had called them. You know, I'm sure they got up in the morning, read their Bible, did their devotions, and just went to work, um, lived their lives. But they were a witness, right? Their lives, um, their lives spoke actually probably more than the words that they said, or their lives verified or just uh, brought evidence of the reality of the gospel in their life. So as we look at this, you know, it's, it's like a day in a life of these guys just living out their lives for the Lord. And it's interesting, you know, in chapter 10, do you think that when Peter woke up that morning, that he was going to go on the roof to pray and just meditate, have a vision, and God was going to send him to Cornelius and the Gentiles were going to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, think about, I mean, that's a pivotal point in the history of the church. And he just woke up one day and it happened. And isn't that kind of gets you excited about going home and going to bed and hurry up and waking up, right? You know, what's God going to do? What's he going to do? And that's the way we should live our faith. You know, when you read the book of Acts, you got to kind of look at it that way. That this is... Um, you know, what happened, what we're reading is just, it happened in a day, a couple days, a week. But I just think it's exciting. So I hope you guys share that with me. But there's a transition here from the end of Acts chapter 10, where Cornelius and the Italian band, by the way, um, the first Gentiles to get saved were Italians. So I just want to be on the record for that. Just kidding. So um, so it says at the end, it says in verse 48 of chapter 10 that um, it must be Cornelius, the they in the verse. The end of the verse says, and then they asked him, Peter, to stay a few days. So it's interesting. There's a transition here. They get saved. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They ask Peter to, to hang out, 
You know, he's got um, his six friends that came with him. And uh, we know from earlier in the book of Acts that Philip has relocated into Caesarea. So I think, and I tried to find in a, in a couple different commentaries, I found anywhere from a couple weeks to almost a whole year that Peter hung out in Caesarea to minister to these new saints. I don't know how accurate that is, but just to give you a little bit of an idea, because now he's going to go back to Jerusalem, and they're going to call him on the carpet for going into a, a Gentile's house and eating with them. Wow. Was, I didn't realize it until I was really looking at this how a horrible thing that was back then. You know, so um, it's just interesting to see how that, that's happening. But, you know, they, they're there, they're sharing the word. So Peter ends up coming back to Jerusalem. And let's read the first three verses of chapter 11. It says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Exclamation point. Is there an exclamation point in your Bible? Yeah, it's like this big, crazy idea, right? So, um, you know, there's an accusation made against Peter. Um, there's some doubt. That, I mean, and this is really um, a critical juncture for the church, right? I mean, just before this, the Gentiles are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're saved, just like the Jews were at, at Pentecost. That's huge. And now that's going to be called into question. And it's interesting because the beginning or the, like the first 15 verses are just Peter recounting what Jesus and, you know, what had happened in, in Acts chapter 10. But, you know, when God says something again, you know, it's just his way of verifying and just kind of cementing it that it's, this really happened. And Peter, um, once again, I mean, I know that it's been a, an interesting week for him, maybe, maybe a little longer, but, you know, he's on the roof. He gets this vision. These guys knock on the door. He goes to see Cornelius. Cornelius gets saved. You know, he's ministering to these new believers, and he gets back thinking, maybe thinking, hey, you know, these guys are going to be excited about what happened. You know, God really did this awesome work. And he gets back, and they call him on the carpet to, hey, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And, you know, hasn't that happened in our lives? You know, we thought, oh, wow, this is really great. And then somebody kind of calls it into question. And it's like, oh, wow. But, hey, you know what? The word of God is the word of God, and that's what's true. Now, and Peter had, um, I don't think Peter had a problem. I, you know, was reading through some of the commentaries where they were saying that Peter was kind of like apologizing for what happened. But I, I just can't see that. I can't see Peter apologizing for this miracle that God did. And, you know, we, um, you know, we don't have to apologize ever for our faith, right? I mean, we own our faith. That's who we are. And, you know, never have to apologize for things that God is doing or for the confusion that people might have about the Lord. But that's a whole different story. So the circumcision, these guys call them into, into account. And, you know, this refers to Christians, Jewish Christians by birth, who were still thinking that you had to 
be circumcised, you still had to honor the law of Moses, you know, and they were putting that expectation on the Gentiles. So let's read verses 4 through 14. I was just looking at something else. I'm not confused about the verse, but, you know, it's interesting, too, and I'm just going to kind of throw this out there. You know, this could have been like a real issue in the church, like a racial issue, but you know what? There's no, there's not, um, there is not an ounce of racism in the Bible when you think about it, and God was not going to allow anything to get into the church that would hinder the movement of the church, and you know, I mean, I know everybody in here. Um, you know, it's just so important for us to to just be um, be a, a like a a funnel for the love of God. You know, we you know we need to we need to let people understand that um, you know there's the church. There's no racism in the church. You know, God is you know Adam. Rob said it this morning. Adam and Eve, Noah. I mean, we're all one, one race. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And when we have the opportunity, we need to share that. You know, we really do need to let people know, man. It, it, you know, that's not the heart of God. And, you know, this is a good example because we all know how, how the Gentiles were treated, right? One commentator said that, uh, and I forgot the guy's name, that the Gentiles were put on earth to fuel the fires for hell. I mean, wow, that's pretty um, vindictive, right? Or that they were like dogs. I mean, think of that could have crept into the church, what these people would have felt like. And, and it challenges me in a lot of ways. You know, I, when I look at people in the church, man, I, I just want to see Christ in them, you know? I mean, we all have issues, right? I mean, I got a few. Right, a few issues, but you know what? It's if we see him, we're we're supposed to be praying and helping each other, right? I mean, that's the goal. The goal is to to build each other up. So I'm just so thankful that you know that God and and, and this whole. If you haven't realized it yet, God has a way of verifying everything throughout the whole Bible. And you know what I, I like about the Book of Acts, and I know it's throughout the whole Bible. But you see God's hand in every single thing that happens. And we're going to see it here tonight that, you know, God has, you know, God has prepared Peter to go to Cornelius' house, prepared Cornelius to receive Peter. I mean, God's hand is just in every intricate part of this. And it's so, it's so like that today. You know, maybe we don't notice it right away, but God is, God is involved with everything in our life. You know, he already has things planned and, and things set in place for us for tomorrow, if we're listening, right? I mean, Peter, he was just doing the best he could, and God, you know, God had everything in place. And that's exciting, because it kind of takes um, all the guesswork out. If you wake up tomorrow, do your devotions, pray and say, Lord, you know, I just want to be sensitive to you and just go about your day and God's going to do some really interesting things. He's going to use you. So, all right, enough of that. Let's read verses 4 through 14. So it says, but Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying 
and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. And when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creepy things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice say to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed you must not call <clears throat> common. You must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at, the very, and at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was having, where, where I was, having, seen sent, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then Philip told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who sent to him, who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words uh, by which you and your household will be saved. It's a little different from Acts chapter 10, where it says, he is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. So there's a little more clarity here. He's going to tell you what you must do to be saved. So in Peter's defense, all he's doing is just reciting or just recounting what God did when he was at Cornelius' house. Um, you know, he, it's a, there's some of, the, some of it's a little different, um, but, you know, it's, the, it's what happened. He, you know, just reaccounts the whole thing. And um, one, thing, the only, one thing that was different that I wanted to point out was what I just said that... Um, you know, originally he was telling them what you must do, but in this recount he told them, you know, all your household, you know, what they needed to do to be saved. So I think that's a pretty cool transition in that respect. So verses 15 through 18, and as, it, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, right, as upon us at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If, therefore, God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I, sh that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So it's interesting that Peter noticed when the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and the people in the room on the Gentiles, the first thing that came to his mind was Pentecost. And that, you know, that, that in his mind validated what had happened, that there was no, God was no respecter of persons. You know, he realized that the, that promise back then um, was partially fulfilled at Pentecost, and now was being fulfilled again with Cornelius. And it's interesting because it's still being fulfilled today. 
You know, people are born again and baptized with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, right? The continuation of the book of Acts, it's just so amazing. And I like Peter's remarks, you know, when he, he tells these guys in verse 17. And, you know, this is really, um, really the, the approach I think all of us have with the word. I mean, we know the word of God is true. We know that... Um, that there's nothing that can refute the word of God. I mean, there's no errors in it. Um, God does things the way he wants to do them. It's validated through the word. And when Peter ends his remarks with these guys, when he says, if therefore God chose to pour out the spirit on the Gentiles, if he did, as he has done previously on the Jews who believed, then who was I that I should withstand God? And who, you know, I mean, who are we that we would withstand God? You know, what God is doing is so evident, right? And it's really, God has a way of speaking for himself, right? By the things that we see, by the things that we see happening in people's lives. So these guys, they don't, I mean, what are they going to say, right? What are they going to say? In verse 18, it makes it, you know, very clear that, um, you know, that that was, that was it for them, but it seems like that was it for them for that particular instance, because we know that this issue, this issue is not going to go away, and it's going to take the council in Acts 15 once again to bring it up and solidify the decision of the church again, but it's going to be an ongoing issue, right? You read about it in Galatians, you read about it through the, the epistles, you know, the whole thing with the Gentiles being converted. Um, you know, and you would think it could have been settled right here. It could have been, but it wasn't. And um, that's just a sad testimony to, um, to the church. Because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't those outside the church that were making this an issue. It was from within the church. You know, we just have to realize that I mean, the word of God is the word of God, and if we accept it as the word of God, then you know what? If that old saying, you know, if Jesus said it, that settles it. I mean, the church really needs to adopt that mindset. If it's in the word of God, and it's just plain, you know, it's just plain English. It's there. You know, there shouldn't be all of the craziness going on in the church. If God said it, that settles it. It can only... I, I know that, you know, I've heard stories that, you know, in, in, some, in some cities, you know, there's, in our city too, there's a church on every corner. Like if there's four corners in some parts of the city, there's a church on each corner. Everybody's got a different view. You know, but, but the word of God is, speaks for itself. And it's, you know, it's just sad to see all the confusion. And even just reading through this, thinking this issue could have been settled right here right now for good in the church and it just just was repeated just repeated you know and it's it's a sad testimony to our nature at times as as people and we see it in 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 the media today we see it on the news today there's so much hate so much division and it doesn't have to be that way you know and i'm you know i'm not obviously i'm not naive i understand that you know, sinful man is like going crazy, and the world is is crazy. But 
when you see it in the church, it just hurts to see the church in so much division and strife. So anyway, um, forget about that. Let's make the transition uh, to Barnabas and Saul at Antioch. And this gets exciting because, you know, once again, we're going to see God, his hand is going to be throughout this whole thing. Um, let's, read verse, let's read verse 19. Let's read, read the verse 21. It says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyrus, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So the narrative here in verse 19 goes back to the martyrdom of Stephen. Okay, in other words, these events describe in these next couple of verses, took place before the, the conversion of Cornelius. And, you know, those who were scattered after the persecution of Stephen were, went all over the place. Phoenicia, it's a narrow little coastland along the northeast Mediterranean, and it included the ports of Tyre and Sidon, which is uh, modern-day Lebanon today, Cyprus, large island in the northeast Mediterranean, and then Cyrene, a port city of the north coast of Africa, or modern-day Libya. It says, though, that they preached the gospel to no one but the Jews. So when we read in verse 20 and 21 that um, when they had come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. Um, you know, Hellenist usually um, means Grecian Jews, but here it can only mean Greeks as in Gentiles. And the reason I say that is the context in verse 19, where it talks about preaching the word to nobody but the Jews only. And then in verse 20, talking about preaching to the Greeks also, you know, there's a contrast there between um, the Jews and the Greeks. So you can look at that a little closer um, on your own, but that's, um, you know, that's the way that, that I saw it as I was reading it. So a few interesting points here that, um, that we need to take note of. Um, it, there's, not a, a, a pers no, there's no person, there's no name to any of these folks that did this. You know, there's no mention of who they were, um, you know, which I, I found that was kind of interesting. And, and, you know, think of what they did. You know, you know where, you guys know where, um, well, you know where Cyprus is, and then um, North Africa, um, Cyrene, Phoenicia. You know, the way, the, the way that these folks had to travel to get to Antioch, um, you know, it had to take them a while to get there. And just thinking of what they accomplished when they got to Antioch. You know, God had put it in their hearts to go there, right? Why else would they go there? Trade routes, you know, maybe they, were, they had business there. For whatever the reason, though, they end up in Antioch, and people are getting saved. People are getting saved, and there's not one mention of who these people are. 
And you know, it really spoke to me because, you know, it's always about, it's not always, we think about things like, gee, who, who did that? Or, um, you know, we did this or uh, so-and-so did that. And it's kind of interesting, these anonymous believers. And I kind of like that. You know, they're flying under the radar. They're just serving the Lord. And, um, you know, the church could really use believers like that. Because sometimes, and unfortunately, I think it happens too often, that there's uh, people are doing stuff for their recognition. And I know it doesn't happen in this church, Pastor Rob, because I, I know all these guys. But it, it's just, you know, you, when you think about it, there's a lot, you know, there's like, look what I did, or, you know, this is my ministry, or, you know, we have like 10,000 people at our church, and we have like eight services. And, you know, I read this, and it just kind of dawned on me. You know, these folks were just, like I said earlier, you know, they woke up. They had something that maybe they had business. They had, however it is, the Lord led them to Antioch. And if you guys have read the book of Acts, you know what's coming next. You know what's coming next. Barnabas is going to go there. Paul is, Saul is going to end up back there. And it's going to become the home base for Paul in his ministry. And, you know, we're seeing like the infant stage of this. And I thought it was pretty cool. A bunch of no-name people just moving out to Antioch, sharing the gospel all the way there. And there's a lot of water in between Cyrene and Antioch and Cyprus. You know, so these people really put some effort into getting there for whatever the reason was. But, you know, they brought the gospel with them. So whatever we do, whatever our vocation is, um, our work, how we interact with people, um, Sharing the gospel has to be a part of that. And however you, way you can fit it in. I know at work it's sometimes it's a difficult thing. I mean, when I worked for the county, I was told that I can't talk about the Bible at work. You know, but there's always ways around that, you know, because a lot of guys really didn't care. But, you know, these, these folks just went along, whatever they were doing, sharing the gospel, people were getting saved. And I don't, I have no, I have, I don't believe that they had any idea what the result was going to be. They were just faithful. They were just faithful. They were just living their lives, and they were sharing the gospel through the course of their, their days, and people were getting saved, and now people are getting saved in Antioch. And look what happens. Let's, um, so in, in verses 22 through 26, it says, Now the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came, he had seen the grace of God. Uh, he was glad. <laughs> he was glad. He was encouraged. And he encouraged them all um, that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. You know, in other words, purpose of heart. Like, do it on purpose. You know, purpose of heart. They're purposing to do it. Uh, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And then verse 25 is really interesting in 26. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Remember at the end of chapter 9, Paul was 
they were, the Jews were out to get Paul in Jerusalem, and they said, hey, you know what? He's got to go. They, he went back to Tarsus, right? Went back home. All right? So Barnabas, he's, um, he knows that. He knows where he went because he and Barnabas were together in Jerusalem. So Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So pretty interesting to see how this just kind of transpires. Just in the course of Barnabas going up to Antioch, hey, Barnabas, go up there and see what's going on. Oh, okay, you know, give us a report. He goes up there, sees this move of God. He gets plugged in. And I'm going to go out on the limb and say that the Lord put it on his heart. Hey, Barnabas, you know, Saul is right, around, right you know, up the road a bit. And Tarsus, go get him and bring him back here. I want him to be part of the ministry here. I don't know how it happened, okay? I'm just kind of putting in my own two cents. But... You know, Saul gets put on Barnabas's heart. He goes up to Tarsus and gets him, brings him back, and they start ministering to the to the saints there. You know, and what was um, you know what was Paul doing all this time? And think about it. It was roughly seven years from Paul when Paul got saved to this time. So we know that. Um, he got saved. He went out into the desert. Um, you know, he came back to Damascus for a while. He hooks up with Barnabas. They go to Jerusalem. Barnabas introduces him to the disciples, to the apostles, and then he goes back up to Tarsus. So it's like seven years, give or take. There's um, some commentators that believe that he started planted some churches in Cilicia. But, you know, Paul is, um, Paul is just staying busy for the Lord. Now he's, you know, he's still in Tarsus, ministering for the Lord. And it was interesting because, you know, at first I was thinking, so God kind of put him in a holding pattern back in his, in his hometown. But then the more I thought about it, God, that's, God doesn't put anybody in a holding pattern in the truest sense, right? Because even while we're waiting on God, we're, we stay busy, right? And I really believe that, you know, that, he had he kind of got Saul out of the picture for a while, out of the mainstream. He's ministering in uh, the region around Tarsus, serving the Lord as, you know, he's just, he has no idea. <laughs> he has no idea this is going to happen, right? And I just hope you guys are getting, you're seeing this. You know, tomorrow morning you could wake up and God can do something in your life that you never dreamed of that God could use you in a way that you never even imagined. But it could happen, because you know what? It's happening here. It happens throughout the whole Bible, throughout, all through the book of Acts, throughout the whole Bible, that, you know, a lot of this, it just happens. God has a plan, and he uses us to fulfill it. So uh, was was Saul excited that Barnabas came up to see him? They were probably had a blast just being together, right? You know, and they probably were no different than some of you guys. 
you know, like Pastor Kevin's always scorching or, you know, guys laughing, having fun. Tell, I mean, just having a good time, enjoying life, right? I mean, you think these guys, I mean, you think they were any different? You know, they had the joy of the Lord, right? They, they were excited about what God was doing, and they loved each other. There was a connection there. So when Barnabas went to go get Saul and said, hey, you know, man, I think that God wants you to come down to Antioch because he's doing amazing things there. And you think Paul had to think about that? I'm sure he prayed, but he was probably excited. Yeah, let's go, man. I'm excited. Let's do it. So it's just that it's, it's exciting to see that. And you know what's exciting about that? Hey, you know, if you think that God has kind of put you on hold or something, you're waiting on God to, you know, you're praying about something, you know, you're, you're just wondering, you know, when is God going to do this or do that? Just stay busy serving the Lord. Sure, pray about it, but then, you know, get focused. Just get your focus back on what's going on in your life. Serve the Lord. You know, just keep living for the Lord, and you know what? It's all going to work out. It's all going to work out in his timing, and that's the way it usually is, right? These guys could have never forced any of this. They never would have thought of it, but God just led them. He just led them. It's crazy, but it's, it's, it's crazy, but it's really, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still wants to use you this way. He still wants to use you this way. And then, of course, we know that in Antioch, they were um, first called Christians in Antioch. So a lot happens in this, in this one little town, right? Antioch. Well, it wasn't little. It was a nice-sized city. But to think Paul and Barnabas probably had no idea that this was going to be their home base and that they were gonna, this was going to be the church that would send them out on the three missionary journeys that they went on, you know, they would have never thought that. You know, and it all started by Barnabas going up to Antioch to get, bring back a report to the guys back in Jerusalem. Thinks of Saul up in, uh, up in Tarsus, goes and gets them, comes back, and a year later, a year later, they're still ministering. People are getting saved. And you can see God is already developing Barnabas and Saul, their heart for the church that's birthed there, the relationships that are being established, right? And then you can see why the, that church was so supportive of Paul and Barnabas. So it's just amazing to see God's hand in that. So last three verses, um, verses 27 through 30. And in these days, uh, the prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This, this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas and Saul are, um, you know, they're, they're like... Uh, I was going to say, the dynamic duo, really, when you think about the stuff that they're doing in ministry. And you can see that, you know, that there is a, a level of trust and respect for Paul and Barnabas now with the church, that they entrust them with, you know, whatever they're sending the relief uh, back to Judea. 
Um, you know, the, there's actually, obviously, this famine is documented. And, you know, that's, that it actually did happen. And um, it says when he sent it to the elders, this is the first mention of the men who were pastors and overseers in the church um, back in Jerusalem. So, and, and even in that, you can start to see the transition from the apostles being the leaders, and you see the leadership now being more transitioned to elders, pastors. And, you know, in all of this, you see God's hand in it all. And, you know, I know that, um, you know, Dave, that's obvious. You know, it's in the Bible, you know. But I, I just, I want to drive that point home because I, I want you to go to bed tonight thinking about what awesome stuff God's going to do tomorrow. You know, and, and whatever is going on in your head or, you know, your life or whatever, you know, you know God's going to work out any of the details that he has to. Um, you know, and if, if we're preoccupied with stuff, you know what? Try to let it go. Just give it to the Lord. And really, tomorrow, <clears throat> tomorrow morning when you... <laughs> Look, he doesn't, want, he doesn't want it said. <clears throat> tomorrow morning when you get up, just roll out of bed. And I know for me it takes a little longer now to want to get out of bed. But you know what? When you get out of bed tomorrow and you wake up, you know, just think, God has something in store for you. God has something in store for you. And, you know, don't blow it off because, you know what? We just read a chapter where, there, where Peter verified a miracle of God bringing the Gentiles into the church, getting filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, getting that straight with the, you know, the, the Christians that were still legalistic. And then, you know, Peter kind of stays there. And then we have Barnabas and Saul. You know, you, and it's, you know, I, I'm going to be quiet. Because, I, you know, it's just amazing. I, I just get, I get excited thinking, you know. I wonder what Paul was thinking, you know, Saul. He's, you know, he gets up and somebody says, oh, by the way, hey, Barnabas is here to see you. Barnabas, I haven't seen him in so long, man. I wonder what he's up to, you know, and they get together. And it's just, I don't know. Do you guys see the, just how awesome that must have been? But that happens today. I used to go into the jail with Mark and Tom and those guys. It was exciting that even just going in, not even being in there yet, because there was an anticipation that God was going to do something and that these guys' lives were going to be changed or challenged. And, you know, that's, that, can happen, that can happen every day. God's got stuff in store for us. We just have to be willing, listen, pay attention, and see what happens. Right? We know God's not going to do anything. He's not going to ever lead us into something that's weird. So you could trust him. Okay? All right. Lord, thank you for um, giving these guys the patience <laughs> uh, to deal with my excitement over Paul and Barnabas and Peter and just your word. And God, we are just so thankful that you have called us out that, God, before the foundations of the world, you knew that we would be here uh, listening uh, to the word. You, you just know everything about us, obviously, God. But I pray that we would have um, just a, an excitement and anticipation in our lives of, you know, what you're going to do um, in our lives, how you're going to use us. And, 
you know, God, you know our hearts, and, um, you know, we, we do. We want to be used by you. We want to be that, um, like those folks that came from Cyprus and Cyrene, you know, just we don't need any recognition, God. We don't, we don't need any limelight. All we want to do is be faithful um, to live for you um, every day that you give us here on this planet. And, uh, God, I thank you for um, your word and that we can see men and women um, Lord, that trusted you, that you used in miraculous ways. And God, we know that, um, you know, that could, you could do that with us, Lord. So um, we're ready, we're willing, and we're able, Lord, to be used by you in any way, God. And we uh, are excited even to anticipate that. So we thank you for that. Pray, Lord, that you get us all home safely, and that, Lord, you would uh, remind us in the morning uh, that you have something for us to do. Oh, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.